You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, well, good morning, Midtown. So fun to see you guys enjoying each other's company. It's great to worship and fellowship together today. I know I've not met a lot of you, but if I haven't yet, my name is Justin Christopher. I serve as the executive pastor here at Midtown, and just want to say again, we're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor or maybe just visiting for the first time, we'd love it if you would fill out that connection card. That just is a way for us to get back in contact with you, let you know other things that are happening in the church, and also want to extend like a special welcome, like if you're actually like exploring your faith, exploring Christianity, or maybe it's like your first time to church, or maybe like the first time in a really, really long time. Uh, Man, we're really glad that you're here and hope that you find this just to be a safe place where you can ask questions and explore. Um, I do think that we create that type of environment. Uh, Before we jump into the sermon, I did want to give just a couple like family announcements. First is that we just had a great time this last uh, weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning. We had 40 people, so about 20 couples participate in our marriage conference. So that was really fun. I appreciate you guys that prayed for it. We had a great time, great conversation, and I think all of our marriages will be helped uh, by the time that we spent together, which is cool. Second thing is I do want to reiterate uh, what, what Dom said, although I can't do it as well as he did, like, yeah, go to dinner for eight. Like, yeah, you should go to dinner for eight. So really is a fun way. What we do is we kind of mix and match people so that you'll get like out of your normal social uh, circles within the church and just get a chance to meet someone new. And so it's really fun. I hope that you guys would check that box and we'll get all that organized this week because that's coming up in a, in a few weekends. And third family announcement, I do this with absolutely no joy. I'd like to congratulate Joe and Drew on the Patriots winning the stupid Super Bowl. Now, please, if you guys could just get your, like, wizard-like, curmudgeon, nasty coach and your pretty boy quarterback out of here, like, retire. We're all tired of you. You're so annoying. Like, seriously. So annoying. Now, let's go to Philippians. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So we're continuing our series in Philippians, and we've titled it The, The Joy of Gospel Partnership. Because really, as you read through the book of Philippians, it's just this wonderful uh, presentation of it when, when Paul's writing this letter where he's just got so much joy. And remember, last week we learned it's pretty wild because he was actually in prison, being pri- imprisoned for his faith, yet he's still writing with so much joy and his joy in a partnership that he had with the Philippians and, and joy even in his circumstances because in his circumstances, he said the gospel was still advancing and it gave him just a ton of joy. And so what happened, in the, as we kind of read the last two weeks, the first part was kind of like a pretty normal letter that you would write to a friend, where he's just kind of saying, expressing greetings and thanks for them. And then he knows that they would want like an update on what's going on with him. Like, what's it really like for you there, Paul? And so last week, we looked at him kind of describe what his circumstances were. And then today, we're actually going to get the first command. So in a lot of Paul's letters, he'd write churches and he would give them direction, right? And so now we're actually going to get the very first command. And I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. It says that we're going to con- he tells them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I want you guys, I want you Philippians, the most important thing, the first thing I'm going to tell you is I want you to live according to what you say you believe. This gospel that you've embraced and you believe, live according to it. So maybe to try to get you to, to feel a little bit maybe what Paul was thinking, why he would make that be his first command, I'll just ask you a couple of questions. First question is, can you think of a time in your life when someone who claimed to be a Christian did something or said something or acted in a way that was like decidedly not Christian. Had one of those examples before? How did it feel? Did it make you feel like, how did it, what did it do with your faith? Or maybe I'll ask another question that's actually a little bit harder. If we're honest, like have you, as a Christian, ever yourself lived 
in a way that's decidedly unchristian, where your words and your life and your actions didn't match what you said you would believe, and other people witnessed it and felt what you felt when you just told you the first question. And we're honest, we've done that, right? So to let you off the hook, I thought I'd tell a story about myself so that I can kind of raise the bar on how bad you can be when you don't walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, okay? So uh, I live in the North, New- North Loop neighborhood, and in our neighborhood, one of the things unique about it is we don't have garages, so there's lots of cars like that park on the street. You got little narrow driveways, and it's an unwritten rule. Like if you live there, you know, like between driveway to driveway, there's room for two cars. And so everyone who lives there knows, like, always leave room for two cars. If you park in the middle, you're a jerk. It's like, that's just jerk right away. Like, don't park in the middle. Leave room for more cars. And so everybody knows it. And well, we had some uh, brand new neighbors that, that moved in. They were like super social. So they were always having a family and friends and, and parties over. And so regularly, I'd come home and there would be just a car, like the jerk move, just right in the middle. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, you've got to know the rules here. Like, you should be passing these on to your friends that are coming. And so this is how, how stupid I am. Something like this really gets at me. I'm just like, why can't you know to park and leave room for another car? And so I was patient with it for a while and for a while. And there was one day, it must have just had like a really bad day. And I decided I was going to prove a point. Now, like a sane person or like a godly person would actually just knock on the door, like try that method and be like, hey, can we talk about the parking? But I thought this was a better idea for whatever reason. I decided that day when I got home and there was a car that didn't leave quite enough room that I was going to tap the car and I, let's say I did a little bit more than tap. I kind of nudged it forward. And I went inside, like, just totally self-justified. I was just like, man, they deserved it. They're finally going to know not to park like that anymore. And then about two hours later, the party ends, and I see my neighbor's friend go out to the car, and they kind of look at it like, what, what's going on? And then they call their na- my neighbors out, my neighbors look at it, and they, of course, know it's my car. And so they're, like, talking to each other, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, that was really stupid. <laughs> that was really ungodly. And I just thought, man, the worst part of all, like, like the people that I most want to share Jesus with are my neighbors. And I just barely got to know these people, and I had really aimed at trying to talk to them about Jesus someday, and I thought, I, I blew it. Like, way to go. Like, here's your, your first attempt, and now you've ruined your witness because you weren't walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. I wasn't living what I said I would believe. I'm going to tell you more about what happened later at the end of the, at the, end of the talk. I'll tell you what happened afterward. Big cliffhanger, I know. You're really stuck. But think about the, the, the feelings that you felt. I saw lots of nodding when I asked you, like, have you ever seen someone who claimed to be Christian living in a decidedly unchristian way? And I saw lots of nodding. Well, think about how it felt. Think about what you were thinking. And, and think about what it did to your faith. Like, it, did it set you back a few steps because you start to question, like, man, how could someone do something like this? This is why Paul would start with this command, because it's so vital. It's so vital. And as just an aside, I would like to say if there's any of you here who maybe haven't yet put your faith in Christ, you're, you're considering exploring like I talked about at the start, um, and you've probably experienced like this type of hypocrisy. And so I want to say that, that God grieves over that, um, and we grieve over that, and also just want to commend you for, for visiting a church like Midtown. You're, you're basically stepping into opening yourself up to relationship with Christians again, and I know that can be really hard to do. And so I'm glad that you've taken that step and hope that Midtown can be a place that, that is different for you. Um, one of the things I love about our church, honestly, is I feel like we actually are pretty good at that. We're certainly not perfect. We confess when we're not. But I think overall, we've built like a culture of people who are welcoming, and then we do actually live what we say we believe, for the most part. Even evidenced by just this one thing. There's one thing that made me think about this this, this week. And that's that 25% of our church is comprised of people who weren't following Jesus and weren't part of a church before they came into Midtown. Isn't that pretty cool? Like 25% of 
of you sitting here. So if you are in that camp that you're not yet following Jesus or you're exploring your faith, like as you look down your row, you know like every fourth person was just in your, in your same shoes, like they were there with you uh, however many years ago before they came to Midtown. So I want to commend us and say that we do this well, but I also want to warn us, like Paul would warn, like this is really important because for Paul, the most important thing was that the gospel was advancing. Let's look real quickly at two verses before the, the, the verse that we'll look at today. If you go back to what his greeting, here's what he said in his greeting. He said, I thank God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Like what it was that gave him such joy was its partnership in the gospel. So his, his greatest joy came from working with others to advance the gospel. And then later when he's telling them about his circumstances, here's what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The important thing is that in uh, every way, whether false motives are true, Christ has preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Like what gave him joy in his circumstances was the fact that the gospel was still moving forward. That's where his joy was found. So let me kind of turn the table on that question. If that's where his joy was found, what do you think would cause him the greatest grief? Anything that would hinder the gospel from going forward, right? And so his first command to these Philippians is, hey, guys, this is so important. What you have to do is you have to live, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so the gospel is not hindered, so others will be more prone to want to follow Jesus with us. So that's what we'll look at today, living in a manner worthy of the gospel. I'll say it again. The verse just says this simply in, in verse 27 of chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, Paul's just wanting to say to them, let, what you, let the way you live match what you say that you believe. Because when you do, that's when there's going to be the most opportunity for others to want to follow Jesus with you. And you won't be hindering the advancement of the gospel. So it kind of bears the biggest question, right? The biggest question is then what's the gospel? Right? Because you've got to say, well, if you're trying to live according to something, then you say, well, what is this thing we're supposed to live according to? And it's real simply that there's a God who loves all of us. There's a God who loves you, loves you so much. He created you in his own image. He wants to be in an eternal relationship with you. He knows you individually and loves you. But the fact is that all of us, we chose not to let him be our God, that we wanted to be our own God, and so we've wandered our own way. We've taken control of our own lives, and we've wanted to do things our own way, and we've walked away from God, and that, that relationship as a result is broken. And there's nothing that we can do on our own efforts to work our way back to God. It's too severed. It's too broken. But the good news is that God loved us so much that he found a way to bridge that gap and to bring us back into relationship with him. And that way it was for Jesus to come and pay the penalty for our sins and our wandering. He took that all upon himself at the cross. And then when he rose from the dead, he showed that he could secure for us eternal life, reconciling with us, us with God for this eternal relationship for which we were created. And the good news is that we receive that just by faith. There's nothing that we can do. We simply put our faith and the grace of God and trust in Jesus. Like that's the good news of the gospel. It's good news, isn't it? Romans 6, 23 sums it up probably most succinctly, maybe one of the verses that sums it up the best. It just says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages, that's something we earn. What we've earned is death, spiritual death, physical death, because of our wandering from God. But God gives us this free gift, nothing that we can do for it. We just simply have to receive it. And that gift is Christ and what he's done for us. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, if we really believe that, the question is, how do you live in a manner worthy of it, right? If we believe that we've been loved by God, then we've got to love others. If we believe that God has given us so much grace, we should be extending grace to everyone. 
We believe that God's given us mercy. We should be the most merciful people. If we believe God's generosity towards us, we'd be so generous toward others. If we believe that God's been so patient and slow to anger with, other, with us, then we would be the same way with others. If we believe that we, God served us, then we would also equally be focused on serving others. If we believe that God created us in His own image and He loves us, that we would treat every single person in our lives as created in the image of God with dignity and respect. And maybe most importantly, when we mess up, when we don't live according to what we believe, we should continue to believe the gospel by going back to God and to others and asking for forgiveness and confession. You see, when we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, the gospel becomes clear to those that are around us. Now, not everyone's going to want to follow Jesus with us, but we've got to take away every possible hindrance that there could be by making sure that we walk in accordance with what we believe. And when we don't, we confess it. This is the way that we're supposed to live, that when, we, when the Holy Spirit fills us, when we put our faith in Christ, He starts to change us from the inside out. We begin to reflect and look more and more and more like Jesus, even though we all come from different starting spots. But as we reflect it, that's meant to be a witness to the world. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, He was talking to His followers, and He gave them an illustration of what this is meant to look like, and He, he referred to it, us as light, light of the world. He says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. For what reason? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God, the Father in heaven. So our light is meant to shine amongst our friends. It's meant to display when we walk in accordance with the way we believe. If we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, what's meant to happen is it's to help point other people to follow Jesus, that they too would then someday glorify God with us. I want to commend us just real directly, like here's the action point. Let's walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's live the way that we say we live. Let's live in accordance with what we say that we believe. Let's not turn the way of hypocrisy. Let's reject hypocrisy. Let's reject living outside of what God would have us live so that we can be a witness to the rest of the world. That's what I'm commending for us today. And I'd like to say, too, that I feel like we do that really well. So, again, I want to I commend us and say, like, Midtown Church, like, we really do this well. I hear stories all the time of, of people in your workplaces and your classrooms and, and your families ways that you have let your light shine and, and you've been walking in a manner worthy of what you say you believe. And when you don't, you confess and you say, I've fallen, I haven't lived up to it. We do that really well and so I want to commend us in that. But you might be asking the question, like I've got some people in my life and I've actually been living this way. Like I have been faithfully, as consistent as I can, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel in my life, yet it's not actually making anyone more interested. Like, I don't have people. My light, I feel like, is shining, but it's not making people want to come. In fact, might, might even face some opposition or some resistance. And that's what Paul goes to next as he reminds them, even if you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's still possible, not unto your own. Like, if we're living in hypocrisy, then we actually, it's right that people would, would be against us. But even if you're walking as faithfully as you can, worthy of the gospel, it's possible that you'll face opposition. And so he writes this uh, from this point. Again, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened by those who oppose you. 
This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I have, and now hear that I still have. Real simply, he just says, like, you guys should expect some sort of opposition. You should expect, because of your faith, to actually suffer for your faith in some way. Now, it wouldn't be fair for us not to admit right from the start, like, the kind of suffering that Paul was going through was very different from what we would have here in Austin, Texas, right? Like, we're talking about a guy that's writing from prison because he refused to worship the gods of their day and was leading others to follow this man, Jesus, and ultimately landed him locked up, chained up to somebody else in prison. So here in Austin, we're not going to face that, right? Like, here we are in an AISD building, (laughs) worshiping freely with very little to no fear of, of anything else happening to us. And so I tried to ask myself, like, what this look like? like? I don't think that he's saying in our day and culture, thank God we can be grateful for it. We're not probably going to get put in prison for what we believe. But what kind of opposition do we face? Is there ways that we actually do face opposition in our day? I actually sent out an email to, like, 30 of you guys um, just asking, like, have you experienced any persecution or opposition in your life? Can you just explain that to me? And I got zero responses, <laughs> zero responses. So one thing I thought, oh, wait, we don't face any opposition. This is great. So then I was left to my own devices to say, well, let me just think about my experiences. And so I'm going to tell you straight up right here, these are, I'm going to list three things that I've experienced. This may not at all be what you've experienced. You may have more. You may have had a lot of emails this week and you just didn't respond, whatever the case would be. Here's three things that they're subtle. I would call them less like opposition and more like suspicion. That, that often in relationships that I have with people, there's a few things that feel like opposition, but they're more like suspicion that, that people have when they find out um, that I'm a Christian. And the first one I would call um, false assumptions. So like when I'm building a relationship with a friend or a neighbor that wouldn't call themselves a Christian and they find out that I'm a Christian, that I go to church, or let alone that I'm even a pastor, I feel like what happens is then they just draw all these assumptions. Like they just layer assumptions on me. So they know uh, what I believe. They know who I voted for. They know what I think about social issues. They know what I think about X, Y, Z, tons of things, right? Just because they found out I'm a Christian, I get, I get layered with assumptions. And for me, I find that to be not really oppressive or oppression, but I do see that as being some sort of a resistance. And what really hurts, honestly, from my perspective is then I feel like people aren't really open to having a relationship with me because they think they already know who I am. Like, like I already know who you are. You, I, you're a pastor. I got it. Like, I, can, I know all this stuff about you. Where I'm like, hey, how about we like, just get to know each other? I've experienced that uh, a number of times, some, some form of suspicion or opposition. Second would be what I call other voices. Other voices. And I'm going to be very careful not to mention any names. But sometimes well-known Christian leaders that have more of a platform than I have as an individual speak or write or say things or do things in a way that they're not speaking for me, but because people don't know and they haven't engaged me in a conversation, they think this is what Christians believe, this is what Christians should do. And I'm like, well, don't, don't let them speak for me, speak with me. I'm so glad that I actually have a friend named John, uh, one of my neighbors, John, he's in, in his 70s, and for the last year or so, we've been getting together every so often. And what he loves to do is he loves to forward me well-known Christians that write stuff or say stuff, and he wants to say, like, do you believe this? And so I, what I love about it, though, is like, he's actually willing to engage in a conversation. Like, he's not going to assume just because XYZ preacher said something that that's what I believe or how I act or even that I would do it the same way. And so we have these great conversations. We're actually getting, the, getting together tomorrow, and we're going to talk about more stuff like this. And I, I love it because he's at least said, hey, I want to know what you believe. I'm not just going to let another voice speak for you since you're a Christian and this person's a Christian, then you must believe the same thing, right? 
And the third one that I found a little bit, and this one I, I promise I'm not trying to be political in any way, not at all, uh, you got to trust me on that, is that I feel like sometimes the media portrays Christians uh, poorly. Now, I'm not at all talking about when there's like scandals or sex abuse or things like that. Like I love when the media exposes that stuff. That stuff should be exposed. I'm just talking like a general sense sometimes that, that Christians are portrayed as like hate-filled or bigoted or self-righteous or arrogant. Sometimes I feel like that comes across, and so it, it puts a barrier between me having a relationship with someone because I think that they've maybe bought into that. When, when my experience, I've been in Austin for 28 years and worked with Christians from all different denominations and backgrounds, and some of the stuff that, that feels like it comes across sometimes in the media, I'm like, that does not like, look like any of the Christian friends that I have here in Austin. I don't, I don't think that's fair. And so sometimes I feel like that's a bit of an opposition, opposition or at least a hurdle that I have to cross when I try to connect with people relationally. Overall, though, what I'm really excited about in Austin is I don't feel like we face uh, tons of opposition. But I feel like most of the friends that I've made, most, not all, are really willing to get past those false assumptions. They're willing to get past other voices. They're willing to get past what might be portrayed in the media and actually, like, get to know me. And I think that you guys could probably attest the same. So we're grateful that we have that here in Austin. In fact, this, uh, a week ago, my neighbors invited me. I've got an agnostic neighbor. One's agnostic and one is agnostic but kind of leans toward uh, Buddhism. They're good, good friends. They invited us over uh, to do, of all things, to work on a puzzle, which I hate puzzles. Um, <laughs> so, but Brent and I have a principle that we, we apply most of the time. Sometimes we say no, but we have a principle. Like, if neighbors invite us over, we say yes, like 90% of the time. Like, just that's a good principle to live by, to, to keep relationship. Like, they've, they've extended friendship to us. Let's go, even if it's building a puzzle. But then with their, with their invitation was so funny, they said, yeah, we really want you to come because guess who else is coming? Our Episcopal priest friend and our Lutheran minister and you and Brenda. That's going to be great. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this will be fun. But, but here we were working on this puzzle for an hour, hour and a half or so, and, and they're just sitting there, agnostic and agnostic slash Buddhist, just listening to these people talk about their faith because they're, they've gotten past those things. And so I love that that's kind of what we, what we get in Austin. By the way, I was there for like an hour and a half, and I think I put three pieces together. <laughs> this was like the worst puzzle, like a thousand pieces. It was, it was awful. Like all, all the colors were the same. And I walked back to the house, and I thought, I get it. They invited a priest and a, and a minister and a pastor over because they needed God to actually work on this puzzle. Like it's just, <laughs> this puzzle was the worst. I saw a few days later they actually finished it and posted it on, on Facebook. So we're called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're called to not let anything that we do in our lives not match up with what we say we believe. But Paul also says, even when you do that to your best, it's very possible that there's going to be people who aren't with it. They might be really opposed to you, or they might just be kind of back off a of friendship from you because of experiences that they've had or any, any, any other such reason. So then he's going to give them finally here a couple things that help them learn how to stand in the gap. Like, how do you manage that? How do you want to live your life before other people? Even if they come against you, what are some ways that you can continue to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel that might open their hearts? In this way, he goes on to, to say this, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, you'll know, or I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one faith in the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He just tells them just three quick little things that are really going to help them as they try to engage their culture he says, you need to stand firm. He says, you need to be one 
work together as one, and you need to be fearless. And if we can stand firm, if we can be united, if we can stand fearless, that's an, a sign, it says, to unbelievers that they'll see that we've been saved by God. And so even in the midst of our culture, even in the midst of opposition, if we can do these three things, stand firm, stay united, and do it without fear, we're going to continue to see the gospel advance. Think first about standing firm. Really, that just means that we're not going to retreat. Like, that's one of the temptations, I think, is that we think, well, if, if no one's going to believe like I do or people are different than me, then I'm just going to go, like, retreat and hide in my Christian bubble. Well, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to continue to lovingly share our faith with you. We're going to hear other people's stories. We're going to respect everyone's right to believe differently or do things differently than us. But we're going to tell people what we believe and how we think Jesus can impact our life. And whether they agree or disagree, we're not going to move back from what, what we believe is true. That's standing firm. It's, it's just telling your story and, and sharing the gospel and, and letting other people make their decision, but not wavering in what we say that we believe. You guys know, right, that like the, the, the cultural, the tidal wave that we're kind of under is relativism, right? That, that everything's the same. Everyone can believe what they all believe. They all lead to the same place. That's not tolerance because we believe in tolerance. Tolerance says that we're going to give everyone the dignity to, to believe what they want to do and believe what they want to believe, do what they want to do. But that's different from relativism. We don't believe in relativism. We do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Then we put our faith in him and it restores us to relationship with God and Jesus is worthy of our worship. Others might not believe that with us, but standing firm is to say, no, I believe that and I still want that for you because I believe it. That's standing firm. But it takes a lot to stand firm, doesn't it? What you need to stand firm is you also need to stand united because we need each other. Like, we need each other. If we're going to try to stand firm in this culture and be the, uh, the people who profess faith in Jesus, then we're going to need each other to do that. That's why Paul would say you need to stand firm, stand as one, be united. And, you know, unity isn't just like a, a unity is a dead-end goal, like, right? Like, the goal is not just like, let's be unified. Well, you, know, you can't just foster unity. Unity has to be about something else. And what he says real clearly here is their unity is meant to be around their faith, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. What they're uniting around is their commitment to advance the gospel. And I love that about our church, that that's something that we're not going to back down because we, we really believe that we're supposed to courageously engage the culture around us. We're supposed to engage in relationships with people outside of our faith and not just sit here in our bubble. And we're going to need each other's help and each other's accountability and encouragement to do that. That's why in many of the settings that we have, we have what we call midtown communities. We have what we call huddles. Those are our different kind of communities that we have. And a facet of each of them is aimed at encouraging each other, encouraging each other to build relationships and to courageously engage in relationships with people who are outside of our faith. I was in my huddle this last week, and one of the guys in our huddle um, actually said, like, I've never been part of a church that focused so much on in engaging with friends that are outside of our faith. And I was like, that's awesome. I was glad to hear that. Like, like you, you've caught it. Yeah, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to say, like, if we want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel before others, one of the things we have to do is we have to continue to engage in relationships with people. And not only that, we're going to need a church that's going to support us and foster us and help us move toward that end. And finally, fearless. We need to let, <clears throat> we can't let our fears keep us from courageously engaging. Paul says, to, without being frightened in any way, right? Uh, this is why I chose the word courageously here, courageously engaged, because we have to do it in a fearless way. I was thinking about my fears, like when I think about uh, courageously engaging the culture, 
I feel like I have at least three fears. One is the fear of rejection. Like I fear like if I kind of come out with my faith and we have a conversation and maybe we disagree, that, that then maybe they're just going to shun me or, or, or push me out. That's, that's a tangible fear, right? We wonder what's going to happen. Um, I also fear, honestly, like not knowing enough. I, I fear like I'm not going to have the right answer. This guy that I'm meeting with uh, tomorrow, John, he is so much smarter than me. It's ridiculous. This guy reads like two or three books a week. I'm not joking. He's, he's insane. He's also 30 years older than me. And so when I get together with him every time, I'm like, oh, man, Lord, I need your help because this guy's so much smarter than me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer his questions. And I likely don't answer him very well sometimes. That causes fear for me. And then another thing we fear is failure. Like I fear like maybe if I step out and, and try to courageously engage, it's not going to work or I'm going to fail and I'm just a failure. Speaking of failure, I'll take you back to my parking story. <laughs> so I uh, realized like you get that sinking pit in your stomach, you know, you're like, oh man, that was the wrong thing to do. This is so bad. And so I just said, man, there's only one thing I can do. I just need to straight up confess it and just tell him I'm wrong. And I wrote him a letter and said something like, hey, um, I'm really sorry, guys. I must have been in a bad mood or something was going on, but I can tell you this, like, you know, I'm a Christian, and what I did today was just completely doesn't equate with my faith. Like, I, I dishonored God in, in the way that he would have me act. I didn't treat you as God treats you, and I, I was just way out of bounds, and I just asked that you would forgive me, and, and can you also forward this letter to your friend uh, so that I can get their forgiveness as well? And they said yes, and they were very gracious and forgave me, and they're like some of our best friends in our street to this day. Uh, if many of you have been part of our MC or if you've been like around my house, you've likely met them because they're just, we're, we're so integrated in our lives with one another. Um, they've even come to Midtown and come to some of our MC events that we've done. Uh, very wonderful people who forgave. And that's one of the things I think is really unique. That we, we do our best to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, but the truth is we're going to mess up. You're probably not going to be a big, as big a jerk as I was, <laughs> right? I was trying to set the bar really high for you. But you're going to mess up in small ways and maybe some big ways with your classmates, with your roommates, with, with your uh, coworkers. And one of the unique things is when we actually get to confess, that's actually another way that we live a manner worthy of the gospel, right? Like when we get the opportunity to actually confess what we've done and ask for people's forgiveness, where even in that, God's gracious to us and gives us the opportunity to model our faith before people, even in our confession. So here's the application for today. What I want to ask you to do Yes, I want to call us all to live in a manner worthy of the gospel by courageously, courageously engaging in relationships with others. And when you fail to live it, confess it and ask for forgiveness before God and often before the people whom you failed to live it around. That's what the call is. Let's live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's courageously engage in relationships with others and let's confess when we don't. Now, we get to end in a really special way, and I think perhaps the most important way is because we got to go back to the gospel, right? If we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, one of the things that we need most is we have to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. Like, that's one of the best ways that we can start to live it out is when we actually engage our heart in it, which is why we take communion each week. When we take communion, we're, we're reminding ourselves. Jesus even said it, do this in remembrance of me because he knows that we're prone to forget all that God has done for us. And so today, when we, when we take the cup and we, when we take the bread, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. We're remembering that his blood was spilled for us, and that's what provided us the reconciled relationship with God. It was all God's work and God's love for us that he would even send his only son 
Like we have to be reminded of that again and again because as we start to really believe it and we start to leak and forget it and then we got to come back to believe it, when we sing these songs and the songs go from our head to our heart, when we take communion, we're remembering the gospel and in so doing, we're allowing God to change our hearts so that then it's more natural for us to live according to it. So I really encourage you as we take communion today and as we sing these great songs, I've heard the songs we're going to sing today, they're all about the gospel. Let's let God remind us of what he's done for us so that we can then go live it out in the city of Austin, wherever God has us. We practice open communion, so anyone can come to take communion if you put your faith in Christ, even if you're not part of our church. Uh, But we do ask that if you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, that you would refrain from taking communion until the time that you're you're ready to put your faith in him. We'll leave that uh, up to you to consider. Let's pray. God, we pray that we would be reminded of the gospel as we take this bread, this cup, and as we sing these songs. Remind us of all that you've done for us, your great love for us, and change our hearts so that we can more readily and more easily live in a manner worthy of what we say we believe. We're going to sing songs that we believe, but help us, God, in all the places that you have us, in our classrooms, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, to live according to what you've done for us. Help us, God, to courageously engage our friends, our family, our neighbors in a way that honors them and loves them and keep us strong in our faith that we can stand firm and even as a church that we'd stand united together in this vision. Keep us from fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.